All right, this is the Craig Folly Show on 1019 WDET. Thank you very much for being with me on this Thursday. Just three hours of this program left to go before I transition to a, a new role here in the city. And um, we've got a lot of fun stuff set up. I have a live audience. First of all, give yourselves a round of applause. That's kind of fun. That's a lot of fun, as a matter of fact, and I'm really excited. I have, I have three good friends uh, sitting across the table from me right now to do sort of a, a special edition of the Follies. It's, it's not really the Friday Follies. It's the Thursday Follies, but it's not uh, with the bell and the annoyance, um, but it'll be fun. <laughs> I've got Rochelle Riley, of course, a wonderful columnist from the Detroit Free Press here. Thank you very much. And Rochelle, I, I want to give her my appreciation because she has sat in for me on a number of occasions, uh, helped me out when I needed to take a little bit of uh, R&R on t- at times, and uh, we always appreciated your help and your willingness to do this for us. So thank you very much. Absolutely. Don't go. Uh, no, it's all right. It's all right. Neil, okay. Neil Rubin, columnist for the Detroit News, is here as well. You also have sat in for me before, and uh, I appreciate that very much. It's good to have you here, too. Great to be here. It's huge fun, and I've got to say, this is interesting, having a studio audience here with people looking on. All the times I've been here, it's the first time I've ever seen you wearing pants. Ah, uh, there we go. <laughs> There we go. The magic of radio. And of course, <laughs> Mara McDonald, a reporter at WDIV, uh, does a great job uh, covering politics here in the city of Detroit and around the state. And uh, Mara, I appreciate you. Um, I remember you and I, the first time I think I met you is uh, we did a live webcast for WDIV a few years ago in the elections. You were asking me about um, the wisdom of a partisan races for the Supreme Court. And, and I think I went off on a little mini rant that day. We had fun that day. I <laughs> yes, think we, we livened up the webcast considerably. I, I hope so. I hope so. But that was a lot of fun, and I'm glad you are here as well. So, so let's have at it. There's a couple of things that I want to get to today that we can have some fun with. Uh, and let's talk a little bit about the elections. And this isn't about necessarily who won or lost, but it's about the reaction to winning from Representative Justin Amash from the west side of the state. He, of course, is a very independent-minded guy, libertarian-leading uh, member of the Republican Party, uh, the Republican establishment, quote-unquote establishment, uh, really wanted somebody other than Justin Amash to be in that seat because he is unpredictable. He's very much against things like the NSA spying program. Uh, he is against uh, continuing the operation of Guantanamo Bay, and this is something that his party leaders were not that fond of. But when he won the other day, Rochelle, he unleashed in his in his victory speech. This was really, really interesting. Uh he said Brian Ellis, who was his opponent in this primary, was running ads calling him Al-Qaeda's best friend in Congress. It was a really rough, nasty campaign, but he said, you owe my family and this community an apology. You had the audacity to try and call me today after running a campaign that was called the nastiest in the country. I ran for office to stop people like you. Refreshing or over the top, Rochelle Riley. I just love him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, finally a politician that'll tell you how he really feels. Um, I'm glad that he got it all off his chest now so that he can go to work. And I don't think you can go to work carrying that much anger. Um, to spend the amount of money that some of these folks did to call each other names. For us, it's great. But for the people who are voting on them and hoping that they can be a little uh, sane, Let's just get it all out there. Let's slap everybody, do all the fighting, and then go to work. So I liked it. Okay, so so are the days of the unity breakfast long gone here, Mara? <laughs> I mean, because, you know, usually it's the day after the election. All the candidates get together. They, they sing kumbaya, shake hands, and then say, we're going to go out there and, and win in November. And now we're all best friends again. And what happens on the campaign trail stays on the campaign trail. Clearly not. Sure. Why not? <laughs> I mean, you know, the entire Republican establishment in West Michigan went after him with every 
every gun they had, and they made his life miserable. And there is something to be said for being gracious in victory. Absolutely. I don't know. I, I don't know if he did more harm to himself with this little chest-thumping maneuver or whether he cleared the air. I'm not quite sure. I will say I don't think that kind of uh, vitriol plays well on that side of the state. And he didn't make any more friends in the establishment, and he doesn't really have that many to begin with. So, okay, but he made it. Maybe he doesn't have friends with the establishment, Neil. But he's got friends with the electorate. He he crushed his opponent, Brian Ellis. I think he got sixty five percent of the vote, almost, which, in election terms, is as big a landslide as you'll ever see. Uh, you know, people are behind him. People are behind him, and I think for the people who like him, this will make them justify their decision because he is. Pardon the horrifically overused word for the wrong people. A true maverick. I was going to say. I knew where you were going with that, Neil. Not just the guy who calls himself one. He's out there. And from our standpoint, you know, we always complain when people give us packaged answers, and you know, and they're not truly speaking from the heart, telling us what they think. He pretty much told us what he thinks, so I think we have to salute it. Well, he didn't stop at Brian Ellis. Oh, no. He also went after Pete Hoekstra, a former congressman, who's a, somebody who's been on this program many, many times, and I, I got to know him uh, in his waning days in the state legislature back in the 90s before he went to Congress. And <laughs> Here's the quote from Justin Amash about Pete Hoekstra. I want to say to lobbyist Pete Hoekstra, you're a disgrace. I'm glad we can hand you one more loss before you fade into total obscurity and irrelevance. Ouch. Ouch. Once that is again, pretty nasty. I yeah. love him. <laughs> <laughs> but let, let me just say, uh, typically uh, with, with traditional politics, this is not the way to go. And we will never know, or maybe we might find out whether this was planned or whether this was totally um, an emotional response. But either way, I think what it's doing is making a declaration to the establishment that you don't matter as much as you used to. And that um, you don't have to drink Kool-Aid or fall in lockstep to be conservative in Michigan. We'll see whether it sticks. But if it does, it could sort of begin to foretell some changes in the way business is done in politics. Well, you know, would that be a bad thing? I mean, does, does Justin Amash calling out the people that were behind these negative ads and nasty campaigning and, and exposing them, uh, is that a bad thing necessarily? Is it the kind of thing that potentially could change the way we do things in the future? Of course not. <laughs> it's politics. That's not how this rolls. I mean, that all it is is negative campaigning. And if anybody thinks that Justin Amash doing the chest-thumping maneuver on victory night and doing this changes anything, of course it doesn't change anything. I, you know what it does change? It may change how West Michigan Republicans um, view him and whether they think they can go hunting for him in the future. His decisive victory pretty much put them on notice that you want a piece of me? Bring it. You brought it and you got smacked down like a bug. So, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that sends a, well, I mean, it, he had to do this. I mean, if, if, if it, he showed them that spending a lot of money to unseat him was a bad investment. Well, you know, think what you want about Justin Amash and his policies. The one thing I appreciate about this guy is that every single vote that he takes, he goes onto Facebook and explains it to his constituents why he voted the way that he did. That's a level of transparency and honesty that we don't see very often. I and mean, you could look at this guy and say, boy, I hate every single vote you've taken. <laughs> but man, I like the fact that you're willing to tell me why you did it, Neil. I mean, that's rare. Yes. And he's also, like you said, he's not just cookie cutter. He's not just checking off the party boxes. 
I like people who do things that surprise you, even if I don't necessarily agree with what they, what they do. John Dingle is a life member of the NRA. You know, David Bonnier, longtime Eastside congressman, uh, liberal Democrat, and anti-abortion. And however you stand on those issues, I think you have to respect the fact that these guys were willing to jump off the train a little bit. Absolutely. Uh, They certainly did. All right, let's move on, shall we, to another topic here. This one is interesting because we love any kind of story um, that shows that perhaps some of our political appointees are not, oh, shall we say, behaving quite appropriately at all times. The head of the state housing authority, tens of thousands of dollars in expenses since he took office back in 2012. Uh, Really expensive meals, hotels that are 500 bucks a night in some instances, uh, and some other things. Uh, Scott Woosley is his name. Um, He got a dinner receipt. (laughs) This is the best part. He put in a dinner receipt from a Washington, D.C. bar. The only items consumed were three glasses of El Dorado rum. $47. 15-year-olds. 15-year-olds, a $47 thing, and that was dinner. So I guess maybe... Maybe if you're an alcoholic, that is dinner. I don't know, but, uh, you know. I don't know. That sounds like a fun dinner to me. It certainly does, but it's not something I'm going to give to the IRS. Uh, No. Yeah, so what do you think, Mara? I think that this becomes a problem for the governor, actually. I think that we are in an election year, and the Dems are doing a really great job of pounding on this administration. And so far, the governor hasn't been up on the air. He hasn't really been campaigning at all. And they are making hay while the sun shines. And this is another perfect example of it. And you know what? If this stuff keeps up without any sort of response from the administration, those poll numbers that we see in this governor's race are going to keep going like this. Do you remember a commercial several years ago in the race, uh, the first race that John Engler won when he beat Jim Blanchard? He beat him with an ad, a very effective ad that had a little cartoon cutout of Jim Blanchard sitting in a plane crisscrossing the state going from places like Cadillac to Alpena, which is, you know, an hour drive. But instead of getting in the plane, (laughs) and it was really effective. And it talked about politicians abusing their expense accounts and things along that, taking advantage of the perks of the office a little too much, Neil. It seems to me that somebody could bring that ad back if they wanted to. Just In this case, put Scott Woosley in a, in a stretch limo and have him driving across a map of Nebraska, because that's one of the things that he did as well. Yeah, you could even have somebody portray Scott Woosley, why stop with a caricature, and have him explain that it was okay to drink $45 worth of rum and called it dinner because there were limes. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> He was worried about scurvy, right? (laughs) (laughs) But that, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that Rick Snyder needs to get out in front of, like Mara said, and squash, because the one thing he has not been effective at, well, there's probably more than one, but the one noticeable thing that he has not been effective at in Lansing is being the party leader. You know, he hasn't been able to get the bridge through, things like that. He has not been able to whip them into line. He needs to be the muscle. Well, okay, I'm going to sound like Mara did a few minutes ago, where, you know, if you think that this is a, a really big deal, it, it's not, even though Lon Johnson from the Democratic Party oh, they're gonna make jumped this. right on they're it. a press conference, I believe, in about but, 15 minutes on this. But, but <laughs> what has already happened is state officials have sent some of these receipts back to him. For instance, a, a restaurant receipt where they went and got the menu and said the, you know, most expensive thing on this is sixteen ninety five, and they're not paying it. So there is some of that that's already going on. But here, here's the thing, you know— you're talking about um, one guy 
who literally can be chastised and write a check tomorrow, and this is done. I, I don't think this is going to make the kind of hay that people hope that it will or think that it might. But I think that it's a reminder to taxpayers that they should pay attention when these things are happening. And if Scott Woosley is doing this, what is everybody else doing? And what other kinds of booze are they drinking? It's a death of a thousand paper cuts. It really is. I mean, the Democratic Party has been extremely effective in the last six to eight months of churning this kind of stuff out constantly. And, you know, Neil talked about effective use of power and how this governor couldn't get the bridge through whatever. You know what? When I'm up there and I deal with this, he looks at the legislature and thinks, this is common sense, people. This is like the most basic stuff. And you are sitting here giving me a hard time. And he just sort of looks at them like, really? This is how this rolls? I think that to him, this is basic. And he doesn't understand how you know, everybody's infighting in there because they're afraid. Well, I mean, look at Medicaid expansion. Mm -hmm. That nearly cost some Republicans their seats this go-round. But it did But it got. But they had nasty, expensive primary fights, and they don't feel like they got any backing from the governor. My guests right now, Rochelle Riley of the Free Press, Neil Rubin of the Detroit News, and Mara McDonald of WDIV, sort of a, a different version of the Follies. Uh, we're having a little fun, but it's kind of serious here, too. There's a lot of... A lot of passion in Mara today, and, and I, just, <laughs> I know. I hey man, this. I'm fired up. I love this. I love this very much. Oh, let's let's move on to another story here, and I'm going to save Neil's story for last because this is one I think that we all can get to. But Rochelle, you, you wrote a piece on on Wade McCree, uh, of course, a judge, and how the, the judicial system, frankly, protects him from more significant penalties for his behavior. Talk a little bit about the backstory here. Yes, that's here. true. Well, you have a judge who is dating a defendant, sexting her from the bench, having sex in his chambers, all these types of things that you would see on an episode of any show on television. <laughs> and um, there's it's sort of this Michigan doctrine, you know, this, this tradition that uh, you, you don't penalize judges so that they can feel free to make the decisions that they need. To, they can be as impartial as they want because there's no ramifications. The problem is there's also no ramification for horror behavior. And even the federal court, the Sixth Circuit, said that his actions were reprehensible, but we can't do anything about it. So now they're going to take it to the Supreme Court. I think he should just quit and go away. But that doesn't happen with people who do these kinds of things. You know, it's it's a weird system, though, that, that takes a look at this as the, the, the worst possible thing that could happen to you for misbehavior on the bench is is removal from the bench, the, the removal of your ability just to do that job, as if this job is just so important um, and, and so much honor goes with it that just losing that honor would be enough to deter bad behavior. But Mara, clearly it's not. Oh, clearly it's not. He's not going anywhere. I mean, the the behavior exhibited here is so over the top and inappropriate. I mean, inappropriate is the most, I mean, that's being kind. It, it really is. And he, I mean, he has no plans to go anywhere. No, he's not going anywhere. Why should he? I mean, you know, unless you force him to go away and he is totally staining the memory of his father, who was just a judicial icon. And I wrote in the piece and then later said to my editor, who had missed the column, we were at a dinner in Boston, and I said, did you read the line I wrote about how Judge McCree, the elder, you know, not only uh, turned over in his grave, but packed up and left the cemetery and moved? <laughs> and he went, did you write that? <laughs> I said, yeah, that's in the paper. Um, but it, it, it's not just a, a, a stain on his father's memory, but it's an insult to every judge who does take the job seriously. Neil, yeah, there's, there's a lot of things in this story that are troubling. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a long list. And Rochelle, I really, really like that column, and I love that line. Thank you. Made me laugh out loud, so thank you for that. But yeah, and 
we've got to figure out something to do with judges, and nobody gets it right. You know, different states do it differently. Everybody has problems. Whether you elect them or appoint them, you wind up with people who think they're, you know, medieval potentates. Um, <laughs> Sometimes you know, you're right. Absolutely. The, the guy in Novi, uh, Brian McKenzie, who's, you know, from what you read, this guy should be in a holding cell, and he's in the runoff instead. Well, I don't know if appointing is any better than electing, but there are certain parts of the metro area where if you've got the correct last name, you're judge for life, and then your kids are judges. Yep. That be- can't be how it's supposed to be set it, up. It becomes a family affair, and that's not right either. I don't know what the answer is, but I will say this. Judge McCree doesn't seem to suffer from anything close to a shame spiral, which, <laughs> you know. He I would think have a shame gene. <laughs> I, I think most of us do. But he's a judge. You can't question the judge for life. All right. Well, let's let's uh, let's move on to this one, Neil. And I thought this was great because this is something that has been bothering me for years, and I've been victimized by this on occasion. Uh, most of the parking meters in the city, just well, I wouldn't say, is most the right word? Don't work at any given time. You know, if you if you look at it over a couple of years span, it's certainly most at any given time. It's about half, and we just report that as though. Well, that's just the natural state of things. Oh, about <laughs> half the parking meters don't work. Well, and for different reasons. I mean, they've, they've been trying for a long time to update the meters so that you don't have to have a roll of quarters in your car if you want to park somewhere. Uh, uh, so they put in those machines where they had the pay stations. And, of course, from what I understand, they didn't pay the contract on maintaining those, so they just stopped working entirely. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so... That doesn't happen. Then they install these new ones that take the credit cards right there in the actual machines, but you can open those up and take out the batteries, and people were stealing the batteries. <laughs> well, they weren't stealing the batteries, but the city went to low bids on the batteries. And when <laughs> so you they buy, just didn't work. When you buy batteries in bulk, the difference between a really good Duracell and you know just some generic battery it's about 20, 25 cents a battery, assuming that the city isn't just going down and buying them at Rite Aid. You know? Yeah. But by going low like bid on the The fact that the there batteries, are nine-volt batteries here. Yeah. We've got this in- enormous income stream dependent on nine-volt batteries. And if you buy cheap ones, then the, the meters stop working and you can't repair them fast enough. Meanwhile, they also bought low-grade locks that stopped working, so you couldn't open the meter to change the battery until you got new locks. I think the part about it that bothers me the most is, though, is that if the meters aren't working, you're not supposed to park there. Because there's no way to pay, so the city says, well, you'll get a ticket if the meter's broken, because if the meter's broken, you're not supposed to park there. And there are entire blocks where there are no meters working. What are you supposed to do, Rochelle? You go to parking court. It's the most entertainment $45 a pop I got my first $45 ticket. But before that ticket, (laughs) I had been to parking court at least a half a dozen times. Which is such a fun experience. It is the most fun. Neil, you can't write about it before I do. It is the most fun I have had. I won't regale you with all of the stories. But the bottom line is they so appreciate your coming to say that, you know, something was wrong. They'll usually just dismiss the ticket. Unless, of course, you're the guy who came in and said, well, I parked where I usually do. And they said, yes, but you can't park in the crosswalk where people are walking around your car. And he said, but I've been doing that for 30 years. <laughs> Did they immediately put a boot on his car? <laughs> no. You know, they, they tried to explain. And then they said, God, you mean well. And then they made him pay the ticket. Well, you know, Mara, this is one of those things, though, where people would pay. 
People don't like getting $45 tickets or even $20 tickets as they used to be. They will pay uh, if you have meters that work. There's no way to know how much money is, is not coming in as a result of this. Well, we did the story a couple of weeks ago on the utter fiasco that is the Detroit parking system and the internal audit that showed. I mean, it's not just the meters. It's the inability to know the amount of money that's coming in and out of the garages. It's the woefully... Um, not maintained city garages that are essentially falling apart. The whole system has, it's not operable. I mean, it it is old, decrepit, not appropriate tech in there to decide, you know, what's what. The meters are a fiasco. The whole thing is a fiasco. So Doug and Anor think, why don't we privatize parking and turn this over to somebody who can run it effectively, save I, us I some money. I hope somebody checks with Chicago before they do that. Well, and that's the thing. You know, it went before city council. They turned it down the first go around because they said they didn't have enough information. They'll probably revote on it. But people, the way it stands now, it cannot stay. This is a non-functioning city department. I mean, like, at all. <laughs> well, my favorite story is, though, the one time that I got a ticket out in front of Lafayette, Coney Island. Jerome Vaughn and I were together. There you go. <laughs> there That's was the problem. M- there was money on the meter. <laughs> yep. There was money on the meter, and I went outside, and the person who was giving the tickets put the ticket on my windshield. I said, there's still money here. She, and she said to me, she goes, I just figured you wouldn't make it. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> but here I am. And she said, yeah, you'll have to take that over to the parking yeah, it's too office. Late. And you know what? By that time, it's just easier to pay the 10 bucks or whatever it is and just have it be done with. Uh, but the $10 is not an option anymore. 45 well, bucks. So. do have a solution. Put a brown paper bag over it with a smiley face that says, I ain't paying. <laughs> yeah, that, that let's work? see how well that let's works. Let's see how that works. <laughs> you try it first, Rochelle. I'll let you know and I'll take a picture. All right, well, we got to wrap this up. Um, and I want to ask you each a question here uh, because you have all been working here a long time and this is a great news town. I want to get a sense from you what your favorite part about working in this town is. What's your favorite part about covering Detroit? Neil, you get to go first. Well, I think what I've discovered over the years is for all the venal nitwits doing <laughs> incredible damage. There are wonderful people who you typically just don't see doing their best. They're sweeping up after the elephant as best they can, and they're pushing that broom a mile a minute, and there's just a ton of people out there doing the best they can, doing wonderful things. You just have to find them. All right, Neil. Mara, look at that. We'll let the applause raise through for that one. I just want to credit Neil right now that I am absolutely poaching venal nitwit for one of my next stories. <laughs> yes, that is good. Let me it's write yours. that down. <laughs> venal, venal nitwit. nitwit. Um, this is my home. I'm from here. This is why I stay here. And for every story of misery that we do, there is something equally fantastic that we do. So that said, I will say that in the last five years, I have seen more exciting thing, things happen in this city than ever before. And I am probably the most cynical person sitting at this table. No. Well, Polly, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you kind of give me a run. <laughs> but even with my horribly deep-seated cynicism, I see a way forward. And I, and I never have ever before. There you go. Rochelle. This is my home. I was not born here, but I stay here 
because, um, you know, Neil said it so well about the people here, but it's more than that because there are people in every city. There are people who are doing things and trying to change their cities in Cleveland and Gary, Indiana, and even back in my home state of North Carolina. But there is something about the spirit of Detroiters that is unlike anything I've ever seen, and it's not contained within the city limits of this one city. It's in this whole metro area. And I talk to people every day and every week, and I hear from wonderful people through emails that um, what we do matters. And when you can work someplace where you know that what you're doing is helping to change things, you can't be anyplace else. This place is going to be magnificent. And as this young lady said uh, just a few minutes ago, I'm getting a T-shirt that says, we've been through change before. We can do this. There you go. We'll leave it right there. Huge thanks to my guests, Mara McDonald from WDIV, Neil Rubin of the Detroit News, and Rochelle Riley of the Detroit Free Press. Thanks for your support all these years. I certainly appreciate it very much. Thanks, Have fun. Thank, Thank you, you, Craig. This is the Craig Folley Show on 101.9 WDET. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, Katie Grace is going to play for us. She's performing tonight over at the 3rd Street Bar. She's great. She's going to play for us. A little live music. Had to do that one last time before the show wraps up. So stick around for that. Then Bankalay in just a few minutes.